Okay, if you'd uh, open to Mark chapter 15, I'm going to take the time to read the whole passage, and then I'll pray, and I'll pray specifically to these close passes comments. And there's reasons that some people aren't going. Some of them I know, some of them I don't. But again, just not, pray. That's all I can say, just pray, okay? If you know what's going on, <laughs> good, your father ahead than me. And also, um, still, what's the answer? Pray. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to start in, last week when we uh, ended, uh, it was verse 25, it was the third hour and they crucified him. So I'm going to start in verse 26 and read down through the uh, remainder of the chapter. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone. Let us see whether Elias will come down and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There are also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the last, and of Joses, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women, which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counsel, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly, unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he was already dead. Calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it, of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down, wrapped him in linen, laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Let's pray. Father, illumine this uh, holy ground. Well, the word is, of course. But, I mean, we don't often get to a place when we, when we read in Scripture about the death of our blessed Savior. So I feel like I'm in a, a really sanctified place. Uh, Father, I, t I pray you just tell us, let us know, communicate to us everything you'd have us know from this, this story. And bless us, Lord, and change us for good and for God forever. Father, as we go now to the East Coast Pastors Conference, we pray your blessing. We pray you'd pour out your spirit in a way that we've never received him before. Uh, a, a new Pentecost, as it were, Lord. Just we would uh, become so infected with the desire to serve you, Lord, that we would never be the same. Lord, pour out your spirit. You know, unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. We're not going to do anything in and of ourselves that's going to be wonderful or, or, or be able to remember for years on or, or months or, or even days. Um, so meet with us, Lord, and prepare hearts. Lord, prepare the hearts of your people to pray. And Lord, just, just do a marvelous work. Do all that you want to do, Lord. Um, and Lord... Satan, we just consider him a defeated foe. Um, certainly, Lord, you've given us power to tread on snakes and scorpions. And we acknowledge that and we, we walk in faith, Lord, and in victory. Not because we're mighty, because our Savior and our God is mighty. We ask it in his blessed name, the name of Jesus Christ. 
Amen and amen. Mark chapter 15. And I said last week, it was the third hour and they crucified him. It says so, so matter-of-factly, doesn't it? Third hour, is about nine in the morning. Superscription over his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. It was common practice, as I'm told, for them to put the crime that the person was being crucified for. His crime was that he was the king of the Jews. Now, it doesn't say much more about that, but let's look at uh, John chapter 20. I think it's kind of interesting in John chapter 20. Uh, verse 19, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And by the way, all four Gospels record this, and it's always in ca- all caps. Um, because it's a title, and that's, this is what he wrote. He didn't write it in English, of course. The title, then, that read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. So we know that Pilate spoke at least three languages. Pretty interesting. He spoke and he was able to write in Hebrew uh, because it says Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Pretty cryptic, don't you think? Uh, I remember Chuck Missler talking about this, and he says that if if it was what he thought it was, it spelled out the tetragrammaton, like the first letters in each, the yod hey vav hey. So basically, Pilate was laughing at the Jews saying, I'm crucifying your God. And they come unglued, because they would pick up on things like that. And so that's, they wanted him to change it. And he's like, what I've written, I've written. In other words, you know, sticking his finger in their eye on purpose. He was upset. He didn't want to crucify Jesus, if you remember. He wanted to release him. Is this true? I, I don't know. Like I say, I've read an article about it. I've heard uh, Chuck Missler preach on this. I'm not a, s- a scholar in ancient languages. Uh, so that's just something for your edification. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's erroneous. I'm not exactly sure. In, in the for what it's worth department. But that we know that he wrote this, and he wrote it in three languages. The king of the Jews. Um, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, to the, the thieves, interesting to me, we know from other scriptures one gets saved and one doesn't. Uh, but look at the end of verse 32, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. So both of them start as revilers, and one ends up as a brother. The only reason I point that out, maybe you've reviled Christ, or maybe you've blasphemed. Because I talk with some people sometimes, and sometimes some people think, they don't always vocalize, but sometimes people think, it's too late for me, I've, I've done too much. I've, I've blasphemed, I've, I've sinned up a storm. No, 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 no. Um, let me put it another way. No. The thief next to Jesus who gets saved takes away all our excuses. Um, you know, there are those who say he has to be, you have to be baptized to be saved. Uh, nope. Nope. Uh, do you have to do some sort of religious observance? His relig- religious observance was being crucified. That was all his activities, okay? Um, he asked Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believes he was a king who was inheriting a kingdom. He reviles him. And what happens? Somewhere when Jesus is praying for those who, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Or, you know, when he says to John, behold your mom, uh, he says to his mom, behold your son. John takes her away, and, and so he's thinking like, boy, he's so others-oriented. He's even concerned with his mom when he's, He's got his plate full right now. He's kind of should be all about me right now, right? What changes his heart? What changes his mind? He's dying next to the Savior of the world, and somehow he grabs hold of that. Is he desperate? Oh, I hope you're desperate. I'm desperate for a fresh touch from God. Why? Because I'm 
so sin-sick, so wicked, so evil, so depraved. Well, yeah, but I mean, not even like, uh, you know, I've had all this secret sin, and if you knew about it, you'd run me out of town or else. Not like that, but I need, I need God to touch me. I need God to speak into my life. I need God to, I'm just like polluted by the world. Like, like you know, the people I hang out with, the things that I see that, that living in this world will drag you down. And I need, I need God to speak into my heart afresh. Don't you need that? Are you desperate for that? Uh, he takes away all our excuses. Uh, there's no reason why you can't become a believer. Uh, this man is getting what he deserved. He's, about to, he's this close to perdition. He's this close to the fires of hell. And what happens? Salvation comes to him. I, I love that whole story. Anyway, there's one on his right, one on his left. Scripture was fulfilled, which said that he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, and he was. They counted Jesus as a transgressor, and he was physically, of course, crucified with transgressors, two thieves. And they that passed by... Now, this is the next section here. There's the next four verses. Let's look at these. They that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocked and said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. But Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. Psalm 22, and I think I want to go there. It was your homework for Wednesday night. By the way, the answer to the question, I think, is 33. The 33 direct quotes. Um, I, don't, I don't know anyone to come up with a better number than that. Uh, Psalm 22, which, by the way, starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It kind of points to the cross. Is that why Jesus said that? So we, he could point us to Psalm 22? No, I think Psalm 22 said that prophetically because Jesus was going to say it from the cross. When we get there, I think I can explain why he said that. Verse 7, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Look at verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me about. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round about. I think that's a spiritual group that was there. What do you mean? The demonic forces, bulls of Bashan. Uh, Bashan is an area that was, it's up in Syria, and it was notably giants, and there's still uh, archaeological evidence of that. Uh, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Satan is as a roaring lion, prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now the human ones, for dogs have compassed me. Dogs in the idea of unbelievers. Uh, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Is that true? Yeah, we just read it. They pierced my hands and my feet. I always wonder, what was David going through that he wrote that? I mean, this is hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. And what's David writing about? I mean, it's prophetic, obviously, of the Savior. We, we know that. But what, what was happening in David's life where he would write that? You wonder. I, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments. We read that last week. Let's go back to Mark. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Aren't you glad you didn't listen? You'd be in a heap of trouble. I know I would. Other than him finishing his work, there's no salvation. You know, I'm a kind of a curious person. I, I see Jesus everywhere. I really do. I might, uh, I might need therapy, so I don't know. But Jesus said, the book, it's about me. You search the scriptures, you think in them you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Can I show you a curious place I was reading and I, found, I thought was, I can't even find it. I used to know my Bible here. Nehemiah. And you can turn there or not. It's just interesting to me. Uh, 
Uh, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian, I like to think of them as Mole, Larry, and Curly, uh, the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at the time I had not set the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem said unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. So, so here's Nehemiah building the wall, and he's saying, Yeah, what has this got to do with anything? Because he said, I sent message unto them saying, I'm doing great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down unto you? And I thought, I put, inserted Jesus from the cross in there. Hey, why don't you come on down? Hey, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down unto you. I think, and I think, you know, Jesus said, the volume of the book is written of me. Am I making, connecting dots that shouldn't be connected? I don't know. I don't know. You're reading the same Bible I am. But I see him everywhere. If you say, you're just like infected, you're some sort of psychopath, you've got Jesus mania. Guilty. Uh, I hope they never cure me. That's all I can tell you right there. But I, uh, So, and again, I think the whole thing is, the, save yourself, come down to the cross. He's doing a great work. He can't come down to you. What are, what are you talking about? And the other thing, too, is they're seeking his mischief. They're not saying, come down, uh, listen, if you're for real, if you're legit, I'll, they say that they'll believe. Likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself he cannot save. What do you mean? He's saving others right now. This is the work. This is the whole thing. This is why he came. What do you mean he can't save others? He's doing it. Uh, unless you view, uh, you know, I always say this about Christmas time, unless you view the cradle in the shadow of the cross, you've certainly missed the meaning of Christmas. He came, he incarnated to die on the cross. He's doing it. He saved others. He can't save himself. He's saving others. Praise his holy name. Every time we have communion, we think of how glorious his salvation is. Look at you. Look at you. Look at us. We are so ridiculous. Look at me. We are so ridiculous. We are so undeserving. He did a great work. He saved us. And this is how he's doing it. Let Christ, the King of Israel, do they believe that? Not at all. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Will they? No. Come on. Please. I talked to people. Well, if he did this, he did. No. No. Shut up. No. Just no. So he comes down across. He pulls the nails out. Pulls the nails out. Jumps down. Okay. Now. Now what? Oh, well, if you're really the Christ, just, that's how it is with people. If you don't want to believe, if you want to persist in your non-belief, you can. You can. I remember one scripture, people, I was talking with a guy, and he said, listen, if God was, why don't you just say, open up the heavens and say, hello, here I am. He did that. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Some said a voice, others said it thundered. What? I've heard thunder. It never sounds like a voice from heaven. Listen, you can be as blind and unfaithless as you want to be. That's why people deserve to go to hell. I'm just saying it, and I'm not going to apologize. That's why people just, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe. And you go in front of God, you stand before this man on the cross, your judge, and, you, and he says, what was the deal with that? Oh, I can't believe you're going to send me to hell. People say all the time, oh, I can't believe God, God hasn't sent his first person to hell. That's your decision. It's always been your decision. It always is. It always has been. How can we even think any other way? Oh, let him, let him come down the cross. We'll believe him. No, they won't. If you don't believe, listen, after he cleansed lepers, and you don't believe him, after he opened the eyes of those who were born blind, you don't believe him, after he starts resurrecting the dead, you remember at, at the tomb of Lazarus? They all knew he was dead. There was no debate there. Lazarus, come forth. Oh, we got to get rid of this guy. He's raising the dead. we got to kill Lazarus too. Listen, there's no bottom to the depravity of the human heart. Most verifiable fact, I think, on the earth is that our hearts are depraved and wicked. If anyone wants to have that debate with me, bring it. I don't think you've got a, a leg to stand on. Oh, yeah, come on down. We'll believe. No, they, no, no. And they that crucified, they that were crucified with him reviled him. Maybe that was you. I don't know if it was me. I don't know if I ever reviled. I kind of always had a 
being brought up in religion home, I, uh, religious home, I just kind of had a respect for holy things. I don't think I reviled, but it don't matter. If that's you, repent. Ask him to remember, remember you when he comes into his kingdom. Well, however you want to pray. Will he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, this is a quick glimpse of the first three hours. Now the next three hours, let's, let's talk about that. When the sixth hour has come, there was darkness over the whole land till the ninth hour. That's it. What do you mean, that's it? Okay, something's going on. We see the, his interaction with humanity. It's not pretty. Now humanity heaped all their abuse on him, mocked him, give, gave him the business. Now God's going to heap all his abuse on him. You say, not really. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's... Transa there's a transaction going on here that I don't know all that much about. Why? Well, there's darkness over the whole land. God, like as it were, drew a, drew a cloud over this. This is, this is business between me and my, and my son here, who at this time doesn't even call him father. He calls him my God. For the first time recorded in Scripture, maybe the first time recorded in history of ever, here's the Son of God calling Father God my God, instead of Father. What's going on here? I, I, I know he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a, there's, there's a transaction being transacted here. And it's dark. It's, I think the less said here, the better. We just kind of move on. But I know this. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And that is, you say, I don't speak ancient Aramaic or Hebrew, whatever this is. I think it's Aramaic. It's being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does God say that? To turn us to Psalm 22? I don't, I don't know. I mean, if, that's good if, we, if he does. And if that, you read down through Psalm 22 and you see, all, I think it will bless us. I think it's a good thing. But I think the main reason he's telling, he's, he's, he's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he never asks a question to find out the answer. It's to tell us that God has forsaken him. Else how would we know? How would we know what's going on in the heavenly realm? Here, God turns his back on the sun because he's of, his eyes are more pure that can behold evil. Is Jesus evil? He became sin for us, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And, you know, when we talk about sin, don't think, yeah, I was, I was short with my wife the other day. You shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. That's not, but is that... Is that as wicked as we ever get? Would to God, that was my biggest failure in my life ever. I answered her abruptly because I was, I was a little shocked. I'd be doing pretty good, right? You'd be doing pretty good if that was the worst we ever did. It's not. Think of the sin of humanity, the wickedness, the depravity. We have people who do unspeakably horrible, horrific things to children, innocent people, we have people who are rapacious and perverted and sick and twisted. And this is Jesus Christ bearing the sin of all the world. Not just church folk who, yeah, I remember that time I, I bought some cigarettes and I smoked them and my mother was found out and she was mad at me. Big deal. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, this is the sin of the whole world. Uh... Not that everyone would get saved, but the payment is available. There's no one, there's people who are mocking him, who are dying next to him, reviling him. Is that pretty bad? Yeah. Is he dying for those two? Yeah. And one of them takes advantage of the situation. Um, if you betrayed Christ for 30 pieces of silver, is that kind of bad? It's kind of bad. 
Could he have got saved? Yeah, we've, I think we've demonstrated. I think we know who God is. Um, he, Peter betrays Christ. I've never heard of him. I'd be damned if I know who that he is. Is that kind of bad? Kind of bad. Uh, is the repentance, is the salvation? Yeah. I don't know what your history looks like. I don't know. I always say this. If you knew my life, you wouldn't like me like you like me. I don't know if any of us would stand that close scrutiny. I don't know. But outside of Christ, we're all very sinful. I don't know how else to say it. And at this point, God turns his back on Jesus. Jesus knows what's going on in the, in the spiritual. He sees the, I'm sure, the bulls of Bashan, the, the horrific demonic horde around him. And he knows that God has turned his back on him. And he tells us as much, that God has forsaken him. I think that this was what the garden part was all about, when his, his Gethsemane, his, his olive press experience. I think this is what is being worked out, and what's, what was pressing in on him. I think this is why he sweat blood. Never in the history of ever has God been separated from God. And I, and, I, and I say this reverently, if this is what got him so full of angst, anxious, whatever, however you want to say it, he never has been separated from God. And now here, he's separated from God, and God has forsaken him. Jesus became sin for us. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. Why? Because his tongue is swollen, stick to the roof of his mouth. We understand that from, well, medical doctors will tell us that, but we understand that from Psalm 22. Uh, they, they misinterpret what he says. And uh, so one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put on a reed and gave him to drink. This is not a, I, I can't tell you what this is all about. You study it out for yourself. It's, it's not someone trying to be gracious. That sponge was used for other purposes, hygienic purposes, let's just say, and leave it at that. This isn't a, a grace. This isn't someone trying to be gracious. This is someone, never mind. Uh, they ran and they put a sponge full of vinegar, put on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, uh, and others were saying, like, hey, 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 leave him alone, leave him alone. Let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So who killed Jesus? Jews. No. Romans. Nope. Your sin and my sin. He was bruised for our iniquity, wounded for our transgression. We get that, right? Even then, Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. And this is the verse that tells us that. He cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. And what is he saying? He was no longer among the land of the living. His, his spirit, his, his soul, separated from his physical body. He gave up the ghost. He says, I can lay my life down. I can pick it back up again. And he does. And next time we, we get together, when we reconvene next Sunday, we'll be talking about that, and that what, a, what a glorious study that will be. He cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. What did he cry? We know. It is finished. To tell us die. Listen, paid in full. And you know it, and I know it. And whole sermons could be preached there. Can you add anything to your salvation? Don't make me throw up. Don't make me laugh. Praise God, it is finished. Paid in full means paid in full. I, what a Savior. What a Savior. Come on down. No. Was he thinking of you? Was he thinking of me? I think so. I can't prove it. I think so. And he says, no, I'm, I got a great work to do. I Oh, Adam's going to need salvation. He's going to need me to finish up what's going on here at the cross. He gave up the ghost. Uh, apparently, everything in those six hours, everything, you know, 
us, us as eternal beings, we sin against an eternal God. How does that work? Six hours and it's all, this is God. I, I don't know all the, apparently he paid an eternal payment. I, I don't know how it works, okay? I don't, I don't know. I know that heaven's eternal, hell's eternal. You don't burn up in hell. Scripture says that the same word that, we, that is used for eternal life is used for eternal damnation, okay? I know there are groups out there that say you go to hell and you burn up, cease to be. I, the Bible I read knows nothing of that. But Jesus somehow pays for all eternity for your sin and my sin. Again, what a wonderful Savior. So he gives up the ghost. And what happens? The veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. So? Oh, so indeed. This is the part of the temple, and before its, its predecessor, the, the tabernacle. This is what separated the holy place from the most holy place. You remember in the most holy place, in both the tabernacle and later on in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, symbolic of the presence. Actually, God came and manifested his presence in the Shekinah glory on several occasions. Uh, when the, when the uh, tabernacle was set up and later on when Solomon built the temple, the Shekinah glory came and, and fell on the, uh, right on the temple. It was, the, it was the, the manifest presence of God. You can't go in there like willy-nilly, well, I'm the high priest, let me go in and see what's going on, overlook what's... Uh, no, no, no. A high priest, once a year, a great ceremony, there were like 70, uh, I'm only going by memory, there were like 70 sacrifices before the sacrifice, the two goats by, by ballot, one was, uh, you know, selected to get uh, killed and the blood taken, and the other was the scapegoat that was led out to the wilderness, which one points to Jesus, both of them, uh, he, he, this innocent goat was, was paid the penalty for our sins, and the other goat was let out to never be seen, never be encountered again. Is that an amazing thing? And Jesus plays the part of both of those goats. He also plays the part of the high priest who goes into the Holy of Holies to make atonement with, with God. And you can only do that, like I say, once a year. And then, he, not without the blood, oh my goodness, whew, that would be horrific, that's what satiates or satisfies God's, it's a propitiation is the word, and that's what satisfies God's anger towards. And so he'd come out and everyone would go, whew, whew, I'm good for another year. It never quite satisfied God's wrath or it wouldn't have had to have been done every single year. And scripture tells us that. And you know, we have it from like, historically, not scripturally, that they tied a rope to the high priest's leg. And it seemed to me that they, they would obviously do that. Because if he went in there and, and God struck him dead because he hadn't done the prescribed method, they'd have to reel him on out. They couldn't go in after him. Why? Because God is holy and there's a separation between God and man. Your sins have separated you from God. There's a chasm that can't be bridged with good works. I'm a good person. You're a good person going to hell. If you think I'm a good person, you're counting on that for your salvation. You are so going to hell. I'm just here to tell you that it's not even any way, shape, or form how we get to heaven. There's a, there's a chasm, and Jesus bridges that. And this is the verse that, among others, that tell us that. The veil, the separation, the thing that separates us from God, the presence of God, was ripped. Because it was an earthquake and it was, stop. From top to bottom. You know, if it was from bottom to top, it almost would seem like, yeah, we can get there with our own energy and effort. No, no, God said, rip, come on in. Could, could, I was wondering, I always think, like, could Peter or James or John or one of them guys just run right into the Holy of Holies right there and not get struck down? I think so. I, I don't think they were available. I don't think anyone was taking, you know, taking that chance. They had never known that. Theologically, I think that's what, what happened. Jesus said, paid in full. God said, amen. Amen. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Fellowship. Pig out. Get as close to God as you want. What is separating us anymore? There's no, there's no veil. Now, what happened? Obviously, temple worship went on. There were veil menders. There still is. 
There still is. There are still people who try to put something between us and God. There are people who try to stand between Jesus and his bride. Don't try to stand between me and my bride. You're going to get so hurt. You get so run over. I think Jesus feels the same way. His blood is enough. His death is enough. The veil of the temple was rent and twain from top to bottom. When the centurion which stood over against him saw that he get, cried so and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Is this centurion in heaven? Boy, I'd like to think so. I don't know if for sure. I don't know if there's enough. I think so. This is a, this is a statement, right? If we confess with the mouth, our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, he's got half the equation. Is he one of the guards later on at the tomb? I don't know, right? I'd like to think, but he knows this. Man, that was no ordinary death of some common criminal. Truly, this man was the son of God. I think we see this man in heaven. Hey, I think we'll find that out soon enough. I love these verses here, these next three verses. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joses, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. Among One of the ways they ministered unto him was financially, and it says Luke says that, I think it's in Luke 8, where it's talking about you know, the women of means, and they financed his ministry, his ministry. Uh, among other things, like you think about like Mary, who poured the perfume on him, the ointment. You think about Martha, who every time he was in the area just was happy to cook for him. You think about these women who were like, hey, question, where are the disciples? We know John's there. At this point, no, I think he's already taken Mary to his house and he looked after her from this point on. Guys, we could uh, learn a lot from the faith of our... Uh... Ah, I said, Peter, I'm going to take the whole army on. You and me, Jesus. I know these other guys will punk out, but I, you can depend on me. None of the women have any of this hubris or full of sense of self, but they're the faithful ones. This, this speaks volumes to me. Mary Magdalene, she's, and a lot of people think she's a prostitute. Scripture knows nothing of that. She, seven demons were cast out of her. We'll, we'll say that. Scripture tells us that. Mary, the mother of James the less. Two Jameses, you know, just James, who's the cousin of Jesus. James the less, because he was not as significant or because he wasn't as tall. I don't know, right? He's James the less. Did you say, did you call him that to his face? I don't know. Or you just said behind his back. I don't know. And of Joses, Mary's mother of James and Joses. And Salome. Who's Salome? Turns out, in another scripture, we find out that she's the mother of, of Zebedee's sons, James and John. The ones who came, the one who came to Jesus and asked if, her boys could sit on the right hand and on the left. Man, she's here at the cross. Imagine that. Hey, can my boys be at your right and left when you inherit your kingdom? Imagine her thinking of that, seeing this vivid right and left and Jesus on his throne, which is the cross right here. Wow. But anyway, she's a believer. She's, she's, she's Mary's sister. And so that's how we know James and John were his cousins. And so these women who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. I know a lot of sisters who followed Jesus and ministered unto him in prayer and devotion and worship and financially and in chicken soup ways and just, you know, very tangible, very godly, very... And I, like I say, men, we could, we could learn a lot. I can learn a lot. It took me a long time to get there. It really did. I said it to my shame. Uh, my wife, who is uh, 
sagacious and people come and ask her opinion. <laughs> I sure didn't, not early on. It took me a long time to get to, you know, to, to know what other people already known. It took me a while. I, I, don't, I don't know, because I'm an idiot, because I'm a chauvinist, because I got pride. I, well, I say I'm a chauvinist. I don't, like to th- I don't think I am now, but it was a time when I certainly was. And I come to that place where she's kind of going on with the Lord. She's really got a heart. She's really got like devotion. She's got a lot of passion. But I wish I had that. I read scriptures like this and I think like, hey, um, Pete, where are you? James, John, your mom's there. Where are you? Bartholomew? Matthew? We can, we can take a list of guys who aren't here. Kind of sad. Kind of sad. At most churches I've ever been in, I, I know some faithful men. Don't get me wrong. And if you're if you love the Lord and you serve him, just praise God. But almost every church I've ever been in, there's an abundance of faithful women and a few faithful men. And it takes us generally longer to get there. Why? Because I told you there's three things that separate us from God sin, ignorance, and pride. Those are the only three things. Sin, I know, I know he's a savior, and I want my sin. I, I, I like sin, I want sin, I don't want Jesus. That will stop you from getting saved. There's the ignorance, I just never knew. I never, in my life, I never knew he was a savior of the world. I mean, we call him that and stuff, but I never knew that his blood could atone for my sin, and just faith in him made me eligible for heaven. I never heard the gospel. I was 20 years old. So this is an ignorance factor. And the other thing is pride. I will not bend my knee. I'm the captain of this ship, and I'm not letting anyone tell me what I'm going and go, not going to do. Now, guys, all things being equal, what do you think we're the most guilty of? I've seen it. I've seen it. I've had the discussions. You've seen it too. People are just like... I, you tell me what I'm going to do and take that attitude right to hell. Pride is the worst. Pride is the worst. Pride will just make you foolish and, and arrogant and stupid. And arrogant doesn't look good on anybody. It just doesn't. You should, if you find pride in your life, you're going to repent from that, like yesterday. It's just, it's, it's just going to make a fool out of you. And I want to tell you something. I know this personally from experience. God humbles the proud. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, you want to do the pride thing? He says, I don't have to deal with pride. He will humble us. What does that consist of? Humiliation. All your secret sin is going to come right out. It will. You can wrestle with him like Jacob did privately at night and work out the whole thing. He loves to do that with his boys. He really, really does. You may have a hip out of joint. You may limp for the rest of your life. Bring it. You got something to wrestle me. Let's do this, God. But he's gracious. He'll do it privately. He really will. Oh, you run through that stop sign? Okay. And he'll fire another warning shot or two across your bow. And at some point, he just it's all out there. It's all public. And now you are all shame-faced and humiliated and everything else. Get rid of the pride. It's not going to advance your spiritual life one iota just not he resists the proud he gives grace to the the humble um and now when the evening was come because it was the preparation that is the day before the sabbath so here it is friday night the day before the sabbath i told you before there's two sabbaths that week and of course there is there's the feast of unleavened bread and it's the regular sabbath and by the way if those were concurrent there'd only be one sabbath and Anyone who talks about what day of the week Jesus died or whatever, if they don't address the Sabbaths, I don't, I don't want to. If you don't address that, I don't want to hear what you've got to say. Because I, I see, I was just someone who I love and respect, who I treasure, said, see, see, it was Friday night. Now all these people try to fit three days and three nights. And, well, people try to fit three days and three nights. Chuck Missler, you mean? You know, ones like that. Um, I have a lot of Jewish uh, roots people who speak into my life through like youtube videos and stuff and they don't have any trouble with this verse that jesus was in the tomb three days three nights and didn't i I, say well good friday i I think good friday is a is a is mythos i I don't know how to say it 
I, and now, by the way, by the way, oh, I'm never going to go to church here again. Yeah, if you feel like you have to, but it doesn't really make you a, a Christian or a non-Christian by believing this. I just want to address it because, you know, we're in the area, and I just want to say what that says. The preparation, and that means the day before, that means Friday night, the preparation. It means the day before the Sabbath, but there's more Sabbath than just Saturday, scripturally. Again, if you read Leviticus 23, it uses the word Sabbath for feast days, whether they come on a Friday or not. It just does. And if you, like I say, if you wade through all that stuff and you can come up with an explanation, I'd, I'd be so happy to hear it. I mean that. But if you just, I, I, a lot of people just aver and just like, you know, it, it's this way, and it, three parts, it, it doesn't have me, and they just say it. And I just think, okay, you didn't deal with, you didn't scratch where I was itching, but you know what I mean? I, you know how it's like, a, I was saying last week, crucify him, crucify Why? What has he done? So they just get louder. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it spiritually. He died on Friday. Uh, well, what about, you know, okay, okay. You know, it's just like, don't, don't do that. Um, if you have a reasonable, I'd really love to hear it. And I mean that sincerely. But I think it, the, the day of the preparation, I think it was, the, like I say, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was happening on that day. And that's the day before the Sabbath that's being talked about. Again, Matthew chapter 28, I think it's verse 1, says now after the Sabbaths. It doesn't say it in English. It doesn't say it in the King James. But if you look, if you look the verse out, you'll find that that's what's being talked about. Now, I love this Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counsel, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went and boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Now, we have a devout man, and I think a believer. Inside the Sanhedrin, we have believers. You know, we've already talked about Nicodemus in the past, and now I think we, we run to Joseph of Arimathea. Now, to have a hand-hewn tomb in Jerusalem is unimaginable wealth. And I'm almost thinking, he goes in a pile and says, I want the body. And you want the body of this criminal? You're going to put it in your own tomb? He says, oy vey, it's just for the weekend. He craved the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Why is he? Because Jesus is rugged. He walked every mile practically he ever took for a short donkey ride and a couple of boat trips. He, he climbed mountains, you know, in the Transfiguration. He, was, he, he worked at a time when he was a carpenter or a builder, if you want to make him a stonemason. It could both fit there. I don't, I don't know and I don't care. But if he's like, a, he didn't go to Home Depot and just stack some lumber and throw it in the back of his pickup and drive away. He would cut a tree down and hew it by hand and make it into a fa- fashion to something that was usable. This was a rugged man. And so he's, he's dead already? Because, like, it's, I think it was like 32 or 33 hours was the shortest crucifixion on record, and the longest was 13 days. You weren't supposed to die in a few hours. It was meant to torture you for a long, long time. Jesus gave up the ghost. Why? Because it was already settled. He had been mercilessly beaten. He had the crown of thorns. The blood loss was immense already. You know, the scourging, long before he got to the cross. Now, if, uh, like tradition says, that he'd f- fallen under the weight of the cross, I mean, think about it, his hands are tied across me, and you do a face plant, you know, it's like a 35-mile-an-hour collision. Uh, so some medical people say, yeah, it's, it's very natural that he would already be dead. And I don't go through the grisliness of crucifixion stuff. I don't think that's why these things are given to us. Pilate marveled if he already did. He called, he has concern. Yeah, the guy, he's dead already. Yeah, he's dead. So all right, you're going to have the body. And he gave the body to Joseph, and he brought fine linen. Is this the shroud? I always thought so. And by the way, the shroud. Have you ever done any study on that? It's it's fine linen, and it's about that time has pollen on it from species only around Jerusalem. Kind of remarkable piece of cloth. Is this that? I think so, but again, if they found a get t- tomorrow that was a forgery, it doesn't change my faith in Jesus Christ even a little bit, even at all. But it's some interesting studies there. 
And it, because it's talking about it, I want to just, just mention it. He bought fine linen. He took him down, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a sepulcher, which, he, which he was hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. So he takes care of the body, which is still considered a mitzvah in uh, Israel. It's a good work to take care of the dead. Okay? In Catholic circles, it's a good thing to you know, visit a grave and mow the lawn and plant flowers and all that stuff. Uh, me, I don't care where they bury me. I'll be home and I'll be... Oh, never mind. <laughs> Besides, I, cremation seems better, but I don't, I don't know and I don't care. Whatever you choose is fine with me, right? But this is what happened to Jesus. His, his body was interred in a grave and there was eyewitnesses. Among some, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. Now that's the seed plot. That's the foreshadowing of glorious chapter 16, okay? Was it a mystery where Jesus was buried? Not to these ladies, not to these faithful ladies. They're going to go visit the tomb, and they're going to have a very pleasant surprise awaiting them, but we know the end. Of, so I don't want to tip it off. I don't want to say too much, okay? You won't come back next time. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's... Uh, Let's go out of here in song. Father, evidently and over, obviously you've overheard. And what's the takeaway? Well, for me, our, our Lord is so marvelous and His salvation is so incredible. And Lord, you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever, the whosoever like me, like, like my brothers and sisters here, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We thank and praise you for this everlasting life. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for the glorious death of our Savior. Some people think it was a, a horrible, something had gone drastically wrong, but you were driving the whole time. You are always in charge. And we think of the awesome payment you paid to secure our eternity with you. We marvel. We thank and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.